Welcome to the WNCT Podcast Network. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. It is a crisis that strikes at the very heart and soul and spirit of our national will. People have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of What the Politics. Today, we have one of the founders of the Lincoln Project. And before we go into our podcast, we do want to say that one of the most amazing things about American democracy is the freedom to have conversations with people you agree with and people you disagree with. And one of the goals of this podcast that Emily and I both had was having a platform to have a variety of of opinions of what's going on in the political arena. And to give a little bit of background, The Lincoln Project is famous for their advertisements against Donald Trump and trying to get him out of office. And whether or not you disagree or agree with The Lincoln Project or with the former president, Emily and I still want to have conversations with people on both sides of the aisle, on both sides of the agreement and disagreement. And this is something that we're doing so that we can better understand what happens in American politics and how policies and conversations and strategies from both parties are decided and implemented. And before we introduce our guests, we do want to play an advertisement just in case you haven't heard or seen any of the Lincoln Project ads, or if, as we're saying, Lincoln Project, you're not really aware of who they are, we'll play an ad and that will probably give you an idea or an understanding of what this group is about. Dear Donald, we at the Lincoln Project just want to say it's okay. Okay. Seriously. We know you did your best. Uh, That was the original. But this whole being president thing isn't for everyone. No, get those lights off. Off. It's the hardest job in the world. Lucky I brought some notes. And it takes a lot of qualities that you just don't have. You're going to be fair. Like compassion, human decency. If you don't mind, Mr. President. And basic reading skills. Yosemites, Yosemites. But don't worry, you've got so many other qualities. Beautiful. Like dancing. Kind of. Actually, forget dancing. But you're great at remembering things. Person, woman, man, camera, TV. Thank you, everybody. And I'm sure your kids are going places. So don't beat yourself up. Not everybody can be a two-termer. Well, this guy was. Oh yeah, that guy too. Okay, ignore that. It doesn't matter, because losing doesn't automatically mean a loser. Or a failure. Or a national disgrace. Who even said that? Not us. That's really bad reporting. Well, okay, we did. And do. And will for a long time. And yes, most of America will come to the same conclusion. We're last, meaning we're first. And sure, historians will document you as being a blight on America's presidential legacy. And yes, future generations will refer to you as that turd sandwich that accidentally won an election one time. And you'll develop, you'll develop turd, like a turd mentality. But hey, at least you're rich. Am I right? Uh, right? So with that being said, I do want to introduce our guest for today, Mr. Steve Schmidt, 
But as always, I'll have our guests introduce themselves. Mr. Schmidt, can you please tell our audience who you are and what you do? I'm Steve Schmidt. I'm one of the co-founders of the Lincoln Project. And I'm talking to you today from my hometown here of Park City, Utah. Ooh, nice. Okay. Um, And one of the things that we also like to do to give our viewers an idea of who you are is we ask a personality question. And the (laughs) the personality question that we have for you today is, so you seem like a guy that deals with a lot of stress. Seems like your your schedules are very busy, and some people have ways that they unwind. Some people drink a glass of wine. Some people, you know, binge five hamburgers. What what is? How do you unwind at the end of the day? Like I, I live in a ski town in the Rocky Mountains, right? <laughs> I do all that stuff, right? You know, I um. Oh, that's awesome. You um. You know, you have to, I remember when I was younger, like after the John McCain campaign, someone had said when I was, when I was, I did that, I was 38 years old, I'm 50 now. And I was like, if someone had asked me at that point, you know, how do you handle stress on that campaign? Like in the moment I would have said like, great, great. I did a great job. Um, like the truth is like I gained 50 pounds, started smoking again. And in like the nine weeks mm-hmm. that I had to deal with Sarah Palin my hair went entirely white. There's literally, there's a picture. I had the same, I had the same amount of hair that I have now. Um, but there was a picture in August, but it was like, it was clearly the color of it was brown. Um, I mean, it was brown and, and literally I went away after the, the campaign and it, it was all white, like Bill Clinton white and has been ever, ever since. So, you know, look, I think that, um, you know, I, I'm a, you know, I like the calm app, um, I know that when I do that in the mm. morning, it, it, it centers me, makes a difference. Um, you know, it's a, you know, all this stuff. I mean, the whole 2020 is, you know, to some degree, um, you know, is dealing with all the realities that, that come from everything everyone had to deal with this, you know, last year, you know, and I'm, I'm very fortunate and, you know, very lucky you know, in so many, you know, so many different ways with, with that, but like, you know, it just reminds you that you're just, you know, you're not in control. Right. I mean, you, you know, and at some, at some point you got to understand that, you know, you can, you can push against that or you can, you can kind of go with the flow and, um, you know, going with the flow is the right way to go. And, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that helps with all mm-hmm. that stuff. And so, and so, you mentioned that you've worked on with political campaigns in the past. A lot of people in this area know you as the anti-Trump yeah. kind of ad group. They've only really seen your advertisements. How would you explain uh, your project, your group, the Lincoln Project, and what you do? What I would describe us as is a pro-democracy organization. Um, and I think this is the essential thing to understand in this in this moment in time. And so, um, where are we as a country um, in this beginning of the third decade of the 21st century? Um, we we are in the middle of a pandemic that, by the time we reach its terrible end, is going to kill at least 700,000 Americans, which is hundreds of thousands of more, hundreds of thousands of more than should have died. Mm. Um, and they died because of the lethal incompetence and the lying of Trump's administration. But when you look at all of the things that he did, all of the corruption, all of the 30,000 lies, 
the greatest damage was done after he lost the election. Mm-hmm. The, 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 there have been many, many great things that have been invented in America. We've invented airplanes and automobiles and telephones and electricity, uh, radio, television, uh, cable. We've had, we've had spaceships land on the moon, come back, the internet, um, you name it, right? Great chance it was invented here. But by, by far, the greatest thing that's ever been invented in the United States is the peaceful transition of power under a constitution written by the people that establish it to create a system of government of the people, by the people, for the people. And in 1797, King George III asks, what will George Washington do? And he's told that Washington will go home. And he says that he will be the greatest man of this or any age because he becomes the first person to voluntarily walk away from power in almost 2,000 years of history. John Adams, the second president, loses the election in the House of Representatives, but vacates the White House. Quote is, inscribed above the state fireplace in the White House that talks about that he hopes in a prayer that only good and wise men would ever rule under that roof. So John Adams leaves, and we've had a peaceful transition of power until 2021, we had a transfer of power, but for the first time in American history, it wasn't peaceful. And it wasn't peaceful because of the deliberate lying that took place between Trump's clear loss of the election and the certification by Congress of the state's certifications in a constitutionally mandated process on the 6th of January. Now, democracy exists, is fueled by, is sustained by people's faith and belief in the system. That's what was poisoned over the months of November and December to 82% of Republicans believe the election, which was the freest and fairest in American history, is in fact stolen. And the votes that they point to as evidence are inner city votes or black votes. Stolen. The midnight votes coming in. No evidence. All of it rejected by 68 federal court decisions. So the lie goes on. And we come to the morning of January the 6th. The president of the United States incites a mob. Who's in that mob? You got fascist proud boys, white supremacists, white nationalists, neo-Nazis, people wearing six million weren't enough t-shirts celebrating the Holocaust, other Nazi t-shirts. You have extremist militias, violent thugs incited by the president, incited by Josh Hawley, incited by Ted Cruz, incited by Kevin McCarthy, the House Majority Leader. 
This crowd attacks the capital of the United States. They pull the American flag down. They raise the MAGA flag in its place. They beat and bludgeon a Capitol police officer with an American flag. And for the first time in American history, the Confederate flag breaches the rotunda of the Capitol. Mm-hmm. When, when that is over and, and, and control of the Capitol is reestablished after a period of hours, 147 all-white members of Congress walk into a room and they vote to throw out millions of black votes for the purposes of overturning the election for the loser to remain in power over the will of the people against the winner of the election that the people have chosen, an act which would have led to the fall of the American Republic in its 200 and 44th year. And so we have a real deal autocratic movement in this country that is a threat to American liberty and democracy. It is a cult of personality that is sustained by the propagandists, the liars for profit at Fox News and OAN and Newsmax, and we will fight them. Sustained by the cynical elites like Josh Hawley, who go to Stanford University, teach at Oxford, Yale Law School who believe that they can manipulate those people that charge the capital. So we will, we will fight them. We will fight the financiers of this. Um, the companies that have donated $250 million in the last election cycle that was used to elect these people. And we have a corporate boycott underway, but we will be involved in that space. And, and our organization will fight for American democracy in a coalition That includes Democrats, independents, Republicans, but people who do not believe that we should live in a fascistic country governed by Trumps that lies to the people tens of thousands of times, that incites racial animus, is incompetent beyond any ability to describe, and is in league with all of these violent people that attack the Capitol. So that's a long answer, but that's what the organization does. And that's the role we want to play. Well, this is a podcast, so we appreciate long answers. Um, You sound very passionate about what you do, and you have history with the Republican Party and being in politics. What is one event that you can remember or feel safe sharing um, that kind of pushed you over the edge to, to be a part of the Lincoln Project to, because it takes a lot of energy. And from what I understand, this isn't your main job. This is more like a side project that you do. Is that correct? It is. Um, so, look, I, I said four years ago, I, I've, been a, I've been an analyst now with MSNBC. Um, I went on leave during the work with the Lincoln Project. But, you know, I've been, a, I've been an analyst since 2011. Um, and one of the things I, I said um, very early on when Trump came down the escalator is that I thought that there was a real lack of imagination in the American mind for the capacity of someone like Trump to cause a real catastrophe in the country. And, um, and that's what happened. Um, sorry to say that happened, but, but, you know, but that happened. 
Um, I left the Republican Party after 29 years in 2018, and the issue that pushed me over the edge finally to take that action, and I was, I, I was certainly a dissident within the Republican Party. I had given a speech for in favor of gay marriage in, in 2009. I had worked with the ACLU as a strategist on the marriage equality campaigns all over the country. I'd been outspoken on um, immigration reform and a path to citizenship, um, about the need to um, turn away completely and decisively from you know, Nixon's Southern strategy and to embrace kind of the philosophy of Jack Kemp within the party. Um, but it was, but it was the children in cages, um, and the, the disgrace, the national shame that Trump brought to the country by his, by his conduct and his cruelties on the border, um, that, you know, compelled me to finally leave. And, um, you know, the reality is, is that, um, you know, not everyone can live in the United States. Um, we, we do need to have a border and we do need to know who is in the country. Um, but uh, the United States has always been a country that has welcomed refugees. And when it's turned refugees away, as it did the Jews on the ship, the St. Louis in the 1930s, it, it's marked shameful chapters in our, in our, in our country's history. But, but, but refugees have a right to present themselves for consideration to entry to the United States of America and American borders. When you think about these poor, desperate people and the struggle and the danger and the conditions and the violence that they're fleeing with nothing, they have nothing. And there's this moment when they see someone in a uniform with the American flag on their shoulder. In that moment, they should know that they're safe and that they'll be treated with dignity and that they're protected, no matter if they're allowed into the country or not. And that's not what happened. Mm -hmm. um, and that's an eternal shame on Donald Trump, the people who worked for him, people who executed those immoral policies and didn't object. Um, and I think every one of us should be unified in President Biden's goal of figuring out where the parents for so many of those children are. Um, we should be shamed by the fact that our government, in our name, under Trump's vile presidency, has orphaned so many children. And that did it for me. Mm. So, you know, obviously our founding fathers, you know, they didn't really they weren't intending us to continue on with this, you know, just two party system. They kind of expected us to change things up, obviously. So what do you think about our two party system? Should there be more than one political party? Um, you know, a lot of the argument is that just having the two is detrimental to society because it's it just creates a straight middle, a line down the middle. And, and, and um, so what do you think about that? Well, first off, right, so the Constitution doesn't say anything about political parties, mm -hmm. right? There's no, there's no mention of them whatsoever. And in his farewell address to the country, George Washington warns the country about the danger of faction. Mm -hmm. And by faction, he meant the burgeoning political 
parties. And what he worried about was a tyranny of the majority that imposes its will uh, oppressively on the, on the minority who are denied rights. And the subordination of national interest to parochial interest to the power of the faction. So we, we live in a time where every bit of George Washington's warning times a hundred, right. You know, times a thousand, um, you know, has come true in this era in the, in the Republican party. What, what, what I think about political parties in this, in this era is this in the, in the tradition of the two parties is, um, we're at a moment that I think is not dissimilar from the Kansas Nebraska act vote in 1856, 1854. And that, that vote allowed for the expansion of slavery into the Western territories. And it, and it broke the Whig party because the slaver and the abolitionists couldn't stay seated next to each other in the political coalition. It birthed the Republican party I mean, it really set in motion, right, the final, you know, steps that would cause the inevitable civil war. The vote on the 6th to decertify those results after the incitement, I think, will break the Republican Party. And I think you see that playing out. You see it with, and this is a feature of all autocratic movements, is the purge. So Cindy McCain is censured in Arizona with the governor, you know, and with Jeff Flake. And remember, right, there was no policy in the Republican platform in 2020. It's all, all it's required to be in good standing is obedience and loyalty to Trump, right? He's threatening to leave with the Patriot Party, which I imagine would include all these QAnon people. Mm. But the QAnon people were in charge of many Republican state parties. Right. They're basically in charge of the Oregon Party, the California Party, the Arizona Party and the Texas Party. I mean, the Texas Party is incorporated a Q slogan right into its party. Right. And this is important because those people believe the government is controlled by an invisible international cannibalistic pedophile ring. Right. Story sounds outlandish. Right. But the story is just really an updated version of the anti-Semitic slur you know, in the elders of the protocol of Zion, mm. right? It's one of the great, you know, anti-Semitic tropes, um, you know, books, you know, profoundly dangerous, um, and it's caused so much, so much chaos and, you know, so much chaos and, and, and death, but, but, but those people are in charge of those, in charge of those state parties. And now Kevin McCarthy right, is making aggressive moves towards Liz Cheney, who is being demanded to resign because she's one of the 10 Republicans that voted for impeachment because, right, she's one of the people who refused to sign up onto the sedition, onto the incitement, onto the we're going to throw out millions of votes. So she is, in fact, right now the head of the conservatives in the House of Representatives, and the head of the Democracy Caucus, in fact. Kevin McCarthy, the leader, is the head of the Autocracy Caucus. And that fight is going to play out. And so what you're going to see is a level of crazy that <laughs> beggars the imagination, right, of people running in primaries 
right, against established candidates, right, or, you know, candidates who didn't necessarily step up, in my view, and, you know, do the right thing against Trump, speak out against him, but, you know, are still attenuated to reality and did not, in fact, participate in the big lie about the stolen election, inciting violence, and and were faithful to democracy. So, um, you know, I think that you know, I think that as we look ahead, we're going to be in for a period of tremendous volatility in our in our politics. But but our politics changed in a fundamental way over these last months, because forevermore. Right. You have an autocracy faction in competition with the with the group that believes in democracy. And I think that's going to become more clear in the years ahead. So there's. A lot of criticism when it comes to leaders and when it comes to the people that we elect and the people that we elect are in part chosen by us, you know, everyday average citizens, American citizens who, who choose to vote. Where, where does the responsibility lie with the citizens? Is it more education or do you think that it's ultimately really the leaders that we should hold the most accountability to? Or, or do we as citizens, do voters have some kind of accountability when it comes to electing these leaders? We have total, we have total accountability and responsibility for it. I mean, Winston Churchill made two observations, right? He said that, you know, democracy is the worst form of government ever invented by the mind of man, except for all of its alternatives. Um, and pointed out that in a democracy, the people get the leaders they deserve. And, I agree with that 100%. Couldn't agree with that sentiment more. And kind of going more towards um, kind of talking about the Lincoln Project and some of the advertisements that you do put out there. They, they're very, some people would say that it's inflammatory language, that it's very divisive, that sometimes you're stooping down to the very people that you're criticizing. What do you have to say to those people who are uh, calling out your advertisement and your strategic campaign methods or methods of, of, you know, criticizing other establishment leaders or political leaders? Well, look, let me, so our mission was to defeat Trump and Trumpism. Um, it's an autocratic movement that we think needs to be destroyed. Um, in a fight, there's only two ways to win. You can bring your opponent to submission or your opponent could bring you to exhaustion while you while you try. And we have a point of view that the pro-democracy side cannot be the gentle side of the debate. And so every ad that we ran, um, there were two that were called out by fact checkers and the fact checkers were wrong on the matters of fact in both of those ads. But we didn't run inaccurate ads. We ran ads that asserted convictions and opinions and held Donald Trump responsible for his disgusting conduct as the president of the United States of America, where he lied, according to the Washington Post, to the American people on more than 35,000 occasions. I, I, I want you to, to, and to, to anyone who's listening to, to understand something. There was a meeting that occurred in the White House. At the, at the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic. Jared Kushner chaired the meeting. And it was a bureaucratic meeting, coffee, 
donuts, bagels, all the stuff, charts, PowerPoints. And Kushner decided in that meeting, running the coronavirus task force, the president's son-in-law with utterly no qualifications to, to, to be working in the White House, to have authority in the White House, let alone be chairing this meeting. But he decided in that meeting um, there would be no national response um, because it was hitting hardest in the blue states, in the blue states where this would hurt the president's enemies. And thus, if it hurts his enemies in the six zero sum game where patriotism and love of country and love of country men and women never figures in, that was a good thing. We got hundreds of thousands of Americans dead because of that decision. Lied to the country hundreds and hundreds of times about the danger of this. Um, we ran ads in the end of the presidency uh, that were designed to destroy the relationship between Mike Pence and Donald Trump. And I'm, and I'm delighted that we succeeded. Um, we're trying to remove Mike Pence from public life because he's unfit. We're trying to remove Josh Hawley from public life because he's unfit. And Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio live in an era of terrible leadership that's caused a catastrophe, a catastrophe in this, in this country. And what we did and Harry Truman pointed this out when they said, give him hell, Harry. He said, I didn't give him hell. I just told the truth on him. We told the truth on these people. And we built a followership of many millions of people and almost 700,000 donors and accumulated billions of views of the content telling a story about the corruption, the cruelty, the meanness of the worst president this country's ever had. And if there were ever any doubts about that, and if you think he did a great job for whatever delusion may have overcome you during the four years of his term of office through the election, the evidence that we were right about how dangerous this guy is, is what occurred between November 3rd and Inauguration Day where he left office the singularly greatest failure and disgrace in the history of the United States. So you spoke about, you know, your next step, and, and this is actually one of the more recent um, publications of you guys, that your next step is to, you know, go after Mike Pence, go after Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley. So what does that look like? Well, I, I think right now, you know, the you know, senators have opened up, you know, requested seven senators, you know, we hope to see it become a bipartisan matter, you know, that the ethics investigation, you know, begin its investigation of Holly and Ted Cruz's conduct in violation of U.S. Senate rules for their uh, incitement and sedition. And I think that, you know, certainly, you know, we have a point of view, we don't believe in bottom down accountability. You know, there's there's the incited, you know, law enforcement is saying that there might be a thousand people at least under arrest by the by the end of the month. But what about the inciters right of the violence? Um, 
we are um, taking an action and have been very successful and are and are working hard now with additional allies. And I think we'll um, have a lot of support in the civil rights community um, with regard to saying to corporate America, if you put out a statement in favor of racial justice, in favor of Black Lives Matter, um, if you talked about George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, if you set racial diversity and inclusion goals in your company, how can you ever justify giving money to a committee that supports the careers and finances the cause that sought to throw away millions and millions of black votes to keep Donald Trump in power for no other reason. And the answer is you can't. And so like we are, um, you know, right now, um, you're talking to a lot of companies and you've seen how many companies have said that they are not going to write checks. And in the end, you know, we seek to take about $200 million of money, um, out of, uh, the seditionist party out of this Republican party to keep it from going to those members who rose to throw out those black votes, you know, who rose after six people were killed, who desecrated the Capitol to accomplish by a vote, what they were unable to do through the violence. And so, and so what we want to do is, is make certain that there's justice and there's accountability um, in the months ahead, the Voting Rights Act will be being debated, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. I think it's essential that it be passed. All over the country, you see Republican legislators taking the first actions to try to make it more difficult to vote. Right? You know, when you, we, we have to understand something. When 147 members rise, all white, to throw out millions of black votes, right? they're trying to establish a new Jim Crow. I don't want to explain to my kids why black people can't vote. Not in 2021. Don't want to go backwards to that. Have you considered running for office? Has that been something that has been a possibility of you even going after? You know, I, um, you know, I have a lot of respect for people who you know, run for office for the right reasons. Um, their sociopathy isn't, isn't one of them. Um, you know, it's a lot. And, you know, I have, mm -hmm. you know, I think my kids, you know, it's something that you have to, you have to do with your family all in, right? Everyone's got to be in, right? You can't, you can't have any reluctance, um, you know, on there. And so, you know, I think that, for me, um, right now, I think the organization I'm involved in has a, has a voice, um, and you know I think that's and, and I think that we're engaged in important work. And so, you know, it's some sometimes you think about it, but it's a it's a lot of work. And at the end of the day, it's a um, you know I like living in Park City, and I, I lived in Washington. It's a great city in a lot of ways, but like I'm not sure I ever want to live there. Yeah. And um, another kind of a little bit more personal question, but have you suffered any like major repercussions from being a part of the Lincoln Project? Have you felt unsafe? Have you felt targeted? Yeah, targeted. What What are some of the things that you feel comfortable sharing that you're that you can kind of give us an idea of what you're? 
Look, I, I had a, you know, I had a couple of years ago, I had FBI agents show up at the house, you know, saying that, you know, I'd been on the list of the, um, you know, I think his name was Cesar Syok, who was mm. the bomber, right? And um, sent out 10 bombs, apparently, you know, it was, you know, next on the list. I mean, I think all of us who've been involved in this have gotten threats, gotten death threats. You know, we've had a couple of our co-founders have bullets taped to their, you know, to their front door. Um, but you, you can't be intimidated by that stuff um, at all. And, um, you know, as soon as you're, as soon as you're afraid to speak, right, you, there's no such thing as free speech anymore. And, um, you know, that's an unacceptable proposition. So, yeah, I mean, look, um, you know, there's a lot of unwell, unbalanced people out there. You know, all these Karen videos, I think, speak to that. Um, I think the confluence of, um, I think the confluence of mental illness and politics, you know, through Fox News and OAN and Newsmax, where, you know, people have been agitated by to, um, is something that I think is underreported on. Um, you know, the, the radicalization process, um, these people and every, everyone, everyone who's listening to this knows what I'm talking about. Every, everyone's got a family member who, um, you know, falls into this category. Um, and you know, you just, you just have to, you, know, you just have to understand, you know, that if you're going to be involved in, you know, speaking out, you know, with conviction about what you think is the right thing in defense of, you know, the, the country's values, I, you know, it's just, you know, it is what it is. So I do want to end with more of a kind of positive question um, for you. So well, positive relatively. Let's yes. See. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so one of the biggest things about your ads is, you know, how quickly they're put together and released to the public kind of at the prime time of the debate of that topic. So obviously there's a lot that goes into putting those together and making sure that they're ready for the public at the right moment. So what's your favorite Lincoln ad that you guys have done or what's one that you're most proud of? My favorite, my favorite one that like, (laughs) that gave, that gave, that gave me just the most joy, um, was, was the, um, was the COVID ad, um, (laughs) which is that, um, you know, I was laying in bed and um, talking to Rick Wilson, and um, I just I started singing to him. I said, "Don't cry for me, Ivanka Trump." <laughs> you know, as we were, and and so, I mean, this was the day that Trump had come home from the hospital and taken to the podium. Um, you know, after after he had COVID, and um, and and Rick. Rick stayed up through the night and rewrote rewrote the lyrics to um to Evita. Um somebody had a friend who was a Broadway singer, was an opera singer. Oh my gosh. Who we got to we got to do it. And then, you know, Trump's all time favorite play was Evita. Oh gosh. And, I um, did not know that. Great, yeah. the great, and the and then the great Broadway star um who had played Evita um is um had had attacked him um and so it was just perfectly delicious like the ad was like a huge viral hit um it was just 
you know, it made him go nuts. And um, that I love that. That was a great ad. It made me laugh. And laughter, <laughs> laughter was something, you know, that we were trying to do that. You know, we, we had a lot of our stuff. Um, you know, it was, you know, we weren't laughing with them. We were laughing at them. We were all laughing together, but, you know, trying to cut them, to wound them, to hurt them, to diminish them, you know, through laughter and mockery and humiliation, you know, and we were all deliberate about that. And so a lot of our ads, you know, we were, we were intending to be funny, um, you know, with edge. And, you know, when we hit that mark, you know, we always enjoyed it. Well, we greatly, greatly appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. Again, we know you're super busy. So thank you so much for joining us for this podcast. You bet. Thank you. All right, everyone. That wraps up this episode of What the Politics. Me and Victoria were super excited to have one of the co-founders of the Lincoln Project join us for this topic. And like Victoria said at the beginning of this podcast, you know, we really want to make it our goal to bring on guests from both sides of the aisle, whether you agree with their policies or ideologies is not really the the point of why we want to do this podcast. We just want to introduce you and open you up to different conversations, different ideologies, so that you're able to form your own opinion based on claims, thoughts, and policies from people who might not have the same opinions as you. And we want to do this just so you're more aware of what's going on every day in American politics on both sides of the aisle, not just one side, not just one version, but you're hearing all sides, hearing all opinions, because that's how we're able to draw the most intelligent conclusions and opinions on our own. So join us for next week's episode of What the Politics. We release new episodes every Tuesday. You can find those on WNCT.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.